Hello, all you reinventors out there. This is Leslie Jane Seymour. And what about if you have this really stiff job in finance or banking or insurance or, and you're making money and you're enjoying that part of it, but you're really not feeling like your creativity is tapped. You're not really feeling like all of you is tapped. What the heck do you do? It's kind of the golden handcuffs. You're making a lot of money. You're feeling good. You can buy yourself an apartment, um, all that stuff, but it ain't happening for you in your heart. What the heck do you do? Well, I have a great story of Kerrigan Barron's ever guess where she end up though I'll probably end up with the title so you'll figure it out um but she went from finance at UBS um to CBD and how do you make that segue that's quite a segue and the hilarious part is is the segue is through food and Taco Bell so it's not what you think um and it's not it, it's never, ever a straight line. And that is the really interesting thing about reinvention. And that's the good thing about reinvention. And that is also why we tell you just to start. Because even if you don't have that end point in mind, um, or even if you do, it may change. Anyway, so here's a wonderful story about somebody who ended up backwards into CBD, and you're going to get a nice little explanation of all the different CBD that's out there and hemp and all that, because I'm totally confused as to what's what and what works on what and what does what. And um, I think you'll enjoy listening to again, Erin's talk about her reinvention. So Kerrigan, I'm so glad that we got you on Reinvent Yourself. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, I would love to talk about, because um, this is so current and everybody has to reinvent themselves somehow during this damn pandemic, what did you have to do for your reinvention? And then we'll go back, um, we'll go back to how you got from finance into CBD. <laughs> I know there are so many people in finance who listen to this podcast who feel that their creativity is not being expressed, that they want to do something else or more. Um, so we'll go back and, and get those fundamentals. But everybody's had a pivot. So you have a product called Sagely Naturals. And mm -hmm. um, did your business have to go more online all of a sudden? Was everybody, because you have CBD, was everybody in, I mean, I started using a lot of CBD <laughs> during the <laughs> pandemic. I don't know if you found... Uh, a sudden increase. But anyway, go ahead and let's talk about pivoting in the pandemic first. Yeah. So as you mentioned, my brand is called Sagely Naturals and we started in 2015. So at that point, less than 1% of Americans had even heard of CBD and clearly we're in a different situation now. Um, I, I think I joked with you earlier that more people have actually heard of CBD at this point than kombucha. So it's become a huge wellness trend, which has been really incredible to see. Um, we've had an advantage in that we got into the space very early and were able to get into a lot of um, brick and mortar doors. So as opposed to a lot of the category, which exists only online, 
we are in almost 15,000 stores across the country. So you can find our products at your local CVS. You can find them at Sprouts. Um, if you have a natural food store near you, most likely you can find our product there as well. And we're in Ulta. And so our products are available in a lot of places, which is amazing. And it has led to a better brand awareness than some of our competitors and also just an inherent trust that people have that there's homework that these stores are doing on these products. And that's important because this is a new category. People don't really understand um, how do I decide, you know, what's a quality product versus not. The problem is um, that during COVID, first of all, stores uh, were closed, um, not all of our stores. So some of the ones I just mentioned, like CVS and Sprouts were considered essential businesses. You know, our grocery stores, our um, drug stores weren't closed because people needed to be able to buy food and prescriptions. Um, but the problem was that they were really only going in to buy food and prescriptions. So they weren't necessarily going into the store and spending, you know, that extra five minutes or 10 minutes browsing the aisles to see, you know, what's new. Um, what do I maybe need that I hadn't put on my list? And, uh, so that definitely made us have to pivot in terms of thinking about our online presence before COVID. We really saw our brick and mortar, um, business as, uh, you know, a, and competitive moat, um, most of our competitors don't have anywhere near the, the number of stores that we're in, but, um, you know, not having the same emphasis online, um, was, you know, problematic at the beginning of COVID because people were looking to buy anything that they could online instead of in person. And so we essentially moved a lot of our resources to, you know, how can we get more people to come to our website? How do we make sure that people know that it's there? Um, and then also, you know, how do we offer people an incentive to, to try these products? So for example, putting our products on sale online, you know, in a way that we hadn't before um, at the beginning of COVID. And even now there was a lot of economic uncertainty and CBD products are expensive. And so we had to acknowledge that by saying, um, you know, in particular, if you've never tried this kind of product before, we are convinced that once you do, you're going to love it. So let's give you a, you know, sizable discount to actually try it for the first time. Um, and we found that those tactics were effective. So to your question, yeah, people definitely wanted more CBD during the pandemic. Um, I would say that the top three reasons why people use CBD products are for pain, stress, and trouble sleeping. And every single one of those problems was exacerbated during COVID. If you were experiencing one of those problems before, it was probably amplified. Um, and so for people that were looking for help, um, CBD definitely offered a solution for them. So why are the products expensive? I was wondering that when you said that they are all expensive, um, starting with that would be interesting to understand. And is there a reason why? Is it because it's new? Yeah, I mean, it really comes down to supply and demand. Um, there historically has not been a lot of supply of the hemp plant 
So up until 2018, when the farm bill passed, hemp was not considered a normal agricultural good like wheat or like corn. Um, the DEA was involved and it made it really difficult for a farmer to actually grow the product. It was just considered way too close to marijuana. And so no one wanted to deal with the potential legal issues that could come about by growing hemp. When the farm bill passed in 2018, it said very clearly, this is not a drug. This is an agricultural product, the way that wheat or corn is. And the department of agriculture should be the one that's actually looking after it instead of the, you know, drug enforcement agency. And so that allowed farmers for the first time to start growing hemp plants, but still not across the country. There were really only a few states that made it friendly enough for farmers to still say, yep, this is worth the risk. So it really has been a scarce commodity, um, which just necessarily makes it expensive. You have to grow a lot of hemp to actually get enough CBD out of the plant to create products like these. So the extract that we're using, the CBD oil, um, you know, is one small component of the overall plant. And so you have to use a lot of it to get um, the amounts that we're using in the products. And, and it just necessarily has made it more expensive. Our The rest of our products are pretty standard. You know, it's a it's a really nice cream. Um, it's not like the, the bottle that we're using is, you know, $10. Um, the issue is that the CBD itself is very expensive. And can you explain um, what is the difference? I think people are really confused between hemp and marijuana and where does the CBD come from? Just give us a really short, um, like, insta lesson on that. Cause I think that's where people are confused as well. It is confusing. Um, the actual plant species name for both marijuana and hemp is called cannabis sativa L and you can sort of think of it like, um, citrus it's a category. And then a lemon and an orange are both citrus fruits. Well, cannabis is a category of plant species and marijuana and hemp are types of cannabis plants. There's actually a legal distinction between the two plants. And it says that if a plant contains more than 0.3% THC, that it is by definition, marijuana and not hemp. So a cannabis plant that contains less than 0.3% THC is hemp. And why that THC component is so important is because THC is the part that we all know gets you high. And so that's where the government says, this is a drug versus this is not a drug. So marijuana, which contains high amounts of THC, a, a typical marijuana plant that you find in a dispensary these days actually contains something like 20% THC concentration. Um, that's going to get you high, but a hemp plant that contains less than 0.3% is definitely not going to get you high. And therefore it should be sold as, you know, an agricultural good. So people see hemp more as, um, a, a plant that contains different cannabinoids. And the word cannabinoid just means a compound from the cannabis plant. CBD and THC are two cannabinoids. There actually are almost a hundred or more in the cannabis plant. And 
what's so exciting about this whole category is that we're still learning about what those different cannabinoids are and what they do for you. So um, CBD is really just the beginning. There are other cannabinoids like CBN, for example, that are now um, just starting to emerge into the market and they are helping with things like sleep. Um, we're going to see a lot more cannabinoids come into the market. Really, I would say over the next like one, two years. So there's still a lot to learn, which is exciting. Wow. That's incredible. So let's talk about how did somebody like you in finance, how, first of all, how did you get into finance? And, um, and then how did you make that segue into cannabis of all things? And I bet you there are a lot of people going, why am I sitting here in finance? I'd rather do CBT. <laughs> Um, well, like you, I went to Duke University and when I was, you know, a junior and, and being forced to start to think about what I was going to do with my summer internship, um, I really only felt like I had three options, <laughs> um, or at least I only felt like I was, you know, being given the blueprint for three options. And the options were finance, consulting, or Teach for America. And um, I didn't know anything about consulting. Um, I am uh, not naturally drawn to, I would say I don't have the patience to work with kids. <laughs> and so um, finance sort of became the answer. My, my brother also happened to work on Wall Street. And so I saw that what he did was exciting and um, you know, importantly at the time, he was able to actually afford living in New York City and living in New York was my number one goal, probably more than even what it was that I was doing exactly. Uh, so finance was what was going to allow me to, to do that. And so I took an internship with an investment bank between my junior and senior year of college, and I got a full-time offer and that was that I ended up working in finance, um, for the same investment bank for about five years after college. And then what did you do next? So my function at UBS, which was the bank where I worked, was um, it wasn't a traditional, you know, investment banker role, even though I worked at an investment bank. I was actually more in a, um, a sales and marketing function. And I knew I loved working with people. Um, a lot of my job was about connecting people and um finding resources internally to serve our clients externally. Um, so I, I knew I was very motivated by, um, by serving people's needs. That was something that um, I thought, okay, if I could find a job, you know, that, that wasn't about stocks and bonds, uh, which doesn't really interest me, but still allows me to work with people every day, uh, I'll probably be happier. And um, I had a advisor at that point tell me, you know, think about what it is that energizes you. And, and that's what I realized energized me was really connecting with people, understanding their needs and meeting their needs. Um, meanwhile, I was just obsessed with food and restaurants and um, my <laughs> side hobby was creating a list of restaurants in the New York area. Um, I had a spreadsheet where 
I would say, you know, what type of cuisine, what did I rate it? Uh, was it a good place to go with friends? Was it a good place for a date? Was it a good place to take clients? Um, and it got to the point where, because I was in this sales function, I had people like across the bank emailing me like, Hey, I have to take this particular kind of person out. Like, where would you recommend? You know, I need somewhere within this distance and, um, has to cost this much. And, um, so I was, I was happy <laughs> doing you were that human Yelp that I realized, um, you know, maybe food is something that would make me happier. Um, but I didn't know exactly what that meant for me. Um, but it just seemed like that would be a more fun job. And, um, I thought, you know, I'm not exactly sure what it is that I want to do within food, but I like this industry and I, I think I need some more time to actually figure this out. I'm going to do what everyone does when they're, you know, 26 and, um, looking to change careers. I'm going to study for the GMAT and I'm going to think about going back to, to business school. So, um, I ended up doing exactly that. Um, when I got into a business school, I quit my job and I convinced, um, someone at Wolfgang Puck to hire me before I started in business school, uh, to do a marketing role. And, I think I was paid, you know, minimum wage. I think they legally had to pay me, but I basically told them I'll work, you know, for as little or free if I need to, just so that I can get my toes in. And it was, it was so fun. Um, just being able to, so marketing was that, um, exact role that I had been enjoying within finance, which is to say that, you know, I was trying to understand customer needs and then figuring out the best way to meet those needs and communicate those um, offerings to the customer. And um, before I went to business school, that gave me enough information to say, okay, I'm going to spend the next you know, year or two years um, honing the skills that I need to either continue to do, you know, marketing for a restaurant group or to actually start something on my own. And I went into business school knowing that I wanted to start a business at some point in my life and thinking um, now is probably the time to do it because I, I'm, I don't want to lose my nerve. <laughs> and I feel like if I, if I take a job um, out of business school, I, I might lose my nerve. And so I took entrepreneurship classes. I took marketing classes. Um, I worked in marketing again for Taco Bell um, as another internship. And I got a new set of experience. Um, I saw, you know, sort of the high and low of the restaurant industry started to understand like what it was that got me excited again, what energized me. Um, and even though I loved Wolfgang Puck, it was definitely, um, you know, not as accessible as, as Taco Bell. And so the accessibility of Taco Bell really got me excited. And, you know, I took a note of that. Okay. Accessibility is something that interests me. Um, and I wrote a business plan for, uh, a restaurant concept and, um, I started to think about, you know, how much money would it cost to actually start this? Um, who would I want to start this with? And meanwhile, was trying to interview for roles within startup restaurant concepts. Um, the problem was 
I, you know, was meeting with the founders of some of my, my favorite local restaurant chains. And, um, I was having the hardest time convincing them that they needed someone with an MBA. They basically were like, yeah, if you want to work in the kitchen, great. Like, but that's how people start in the restaurant industry. Like you don't just get to work in corporate. And by the way, like we can't afford to pay someone with an MBA salary anyway. And, um, I find myself like writing my own job descriptions for these restaurants, trying to pitch them. Initially there was enough interest to get the meeting, but then, you know, it always kind of came back to like our marketing is PR, you know, we don't need someone that understands all of these things about brand management. And, um, you know, our chefs are the ones creating the products. We don't want marketing to do that. So, uh, I, I ended up realizing by the end of business school that it was going to be really challenging to have that perfect job within another company. And that was what gave me the resolve to just start my own company. I didn't actually get the job that I wanted. Had I gotten the job I wanted, I probably wouldn't have started my company because I would have thought I still don't have the skills to do that. Um, Meanwhile, (laughs) I met my business partner in business school. She wasn't a student, but she was a friend of a friend who had just an uncanny similar story to mine. She had worked at an investment bank out of college. She had left the investment bank to go do operations for a restaurant group. And we started talking about the concept that I had created in business school. And she was thinking about quitting her job. And we were starting to meet every couple of weeks to talk about like, what would this look like in reality? Um, and that's when I had my first experience using CBD and, um, I I'm a long time lower back pain sufferer. I have dealt with lower back pain for longer than I can remember at this point. Um, I have a, a disease called endometriosis, which only affects women and people typically associate it with pain around, um, having your period, i.e. getting really bad cramps. But the truth is that it actually can cause other kinds of chronic pain as well. And, um, at the time I didn't know that I had this disease. I just knew that every single day my back hurt and that I was having trouble working out and, um, it was disrupting my sleep. And when I tried CBD for the first time, it was this true aha moment. Like I can feel better. And I, it wasn't because I took, you know, five Advil. And it wasn't because I took a Vicodin and, um, wow, like where can I get more of this? And very quickly in doing really high level market research, I realized that there were no accessible brands in the category. So back to this idea of accessibility, um, that I would have trusted using at that point. And, um, so I went to my business partner, Kaylee, and I said, I think we need to reconsider this food concept Um, what would you think about starting a cannabis business? And she initially thought, you know, oh my God, I moved to LA and I met, (laughs) I met a hippie. Um, what a surprise. My parents are never going to approve of this. Um, but she tried it herself, had a similar experience that I did. And, and we very quickly never looked back at food. So, um, it, it was, uh, I would say a two year journey from finance into what I thought was going to be restaurant marketing, but quickly pivoted into CBD. And 
it was all just down to this personal experience that I had and this instinct that I had that this was going to be something that changed a lot of people's lives. Now, how is the market exploding though? Are you, you were there two years ago so that you sounds like you were right on the cusp of, cause it's moving, but is it hampered because it can't, it just can't be out there um, in terms of advertising and all that stuff is, is it, is there a slowness to the market for that reason? Cause I feel like CBD is everywhere, but maybe, maybe that's just my sense. No, you're totally right. It's this weird dichotomy. Um, and, and we actually started the business more than five years ago now. So we started it in 2015. Um, and at that time there were so many hurdles. I can't even, you know, recount all of them or else we'd be, we'd be here for another two hours, but just one example would be that we couldn't find anyone to process our credit card transactions for our website. So, you know, imagine trying to start an online business and you literally can't take people's credit cards. Like it was, um, fundamental business killer types of things. But was that because it was, people didn't understand it wasn't a drug or what, what was the problem? What were you running into? Cause I know people have this, um, I've talked to a lot of women who do sex toys and it's completely ridiculous. We can, they can advertise all over. I mean, God, how long I'm just sick of the erectile dysfunction stories, yep. but you can't advertise, uh, uh, any kind of sex toy for women, yeah. you know, especially. So I think it's a great comparison. Um, in the early days, it had to do with this gray area of legality, but like I said, that was 2015. And then this farm bill passed in 2018. And so that changed a lot. And we went from being in under a thousand stores to, uh, being in over 10,000 in a year. So that was a really pivotal year for our business. Um, but to your point, we still deal with those exact same issues that you just mentioned for female sex toys. So, um, we can't go advertise in the same way that, uh, a supplement company or, you know, a, a body lotion company, both products that we sell, um, would be able to do on places like Facebook, Instagram, Google, essentially the largest advertisers, you know, in the world don't allow us to advertise. They won't allow you to do CBD, even though it's a, it's a, it's not a banned product. It's not a banned product. It's, it's a legal product. Um, but they don't want to touch it because they don't want to deal with, um, wow. Yeah. They just don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Has anybody, have you guys gotten together and tried to take them on that way? Has anybody organized? (laughs) I mean, that's completely insane. I mean, when you think of all the crap that they allow on there, they allow radicalization, they allow people, Mm -hmm. I mean, the horrible things, you know, horrible, horrible things that create death and destruction, but they won't allow CBD. Yeah, I know it boggles my mind as well. Um, there are trade associations. The, the fact is that they're more focused on the agricultural part, um, and, and legislating than they are on the day-to-day implications for businesses like ours. Um, so I have seen that there are some incredibly well-connected brands that seem to somehow get through that ad filter. Um, 
but we haven't, you know, been able to crack that code in the way that we really would want to, to, to be able to, you know, grow the online side of our business. Wow. It's amazing. So if other people are coming, they might be coming from different directions. They might be coming from different types of businesses. If people want to make a segue, maybe not into CBD, but you could talk about CBD um, from wherever they're coming from, say something that's a little more boring, not exciting. What are the do's and don'ts um, in particular for CBD? And then for coming out of a very corporate kind of thing into something completely unknown. Are there any like if, that you would tell me at my level? Yeah, like well, and don'ts? I would definitely say like when I look at a resume, um, I get really excited when I see someone that has corporate experience because I know that they have the, the training that they most likely are going to be, you know, hard workers and understand um, how to work um, and create process. Um, the flip side to that is that we are a startup. We have, um, you know, when I worked for UBS, there were 60,000 employees. Um, we have, you know, under 20. So, um, you need to be able to prove that you're comfortable working in an environment where there isn't the same, um, bureaucracy and, uh, you know, that, that you don't need to have a hundred people around you to be able to accomplish your, your job. So when I look at a resume from someone who has spent a lot of time in corporate America, I really love to see just a little bit of startup experience. Um, you know, even if it's a, a very small part of their overall experience, um, it proves to me that the interest is real and that they're not going to come to sagely and, um, you know, have a hard time that they know what they're getting themselves into because working in a startup is such a different kind of, um, experience than working in corporate America, um, which sort of gets to the bigger point, which is like, if you want to, to be a career changer, find some, opportunity, even if it's an unpaid internship, even if it's just for three months to, to prove your sincere interest. Um, and you know, before I started business school, I took this internship with Wolfgang Puck and it was what I needed to be able to convince Taco Bell to take me because otherwise they would have said, um, you know, you're a, a finance person. Like, how am I supposed to believe, you know, you're telling me that you love food, but how am I supposed to believe that that's a genuine interest and not just something that you want to explore. Um, so even just having a hint of that kind of experience, whether it's startup experience or experience in the type of role you want to switch into can be really, really powerful for someone that's recruiting for that role. Um, and then, you know, more broadly, I, I thought I needed to work in an industry that I was passionate about. So that was food. You know, in my in my personal time, I loved going to restaurants. I loved cooking. Um, but in retrospect, I think I was looking at it too literally. Um, going back to that advice that I got from my advisor about what energizes you, 
it really wasn't the food. It was how do I meet people's needs and how do I listen to people to understand those needs so that I can meet them? And that's marketing right there. Um, how do I work in a cross-functional role where I get to talk to different kinds of people, um, get people on the same page and, and motivate everyone towards one goal? That's marketing. So ultimately, I, I do have a sincere passion for cannabis, for CBD, um, but really the passion is about meeting people's needs. And, and with CBD, that need is um, for things like pain, stress, and sleep. It might not be uh, you know, satisfying your, your appetite or your craving, but it's still a base level need that allows for a really, um, satisfying life. But the, I mean, it is, I mean, it's an agricultural product mm -hmm. <laughs> and they true. do, they do put it into various foods and things like that. Right. So yeah, absolutely. You, you could say you are there. I'll let Close you enough. say you, you made, you made the segue. Eventually you'll be putting it in your mouth somehow <laughs> with something. It seems like it's going, well, it's definitely going in that direction. So it's, it's there. Anything else that you would tell somebody who's trying to find their next excitement after corporate life and a fairly, you know, rigorous and just straightforward kind of place? I mean, what is the, what was the ultimate joy of, I mean, you know, when I left corporate, the ultimate joy for me is it took me, it really took me, God, it took me six months to, to realize I didn't have to ask for 25,000 permissions, <laughs> you know, like that was such a shock. Like I could have lunch with you and you would give me an idea and I could go back to my office and implement it. Whereas mm -hmm. it was a six month or yearly process to get anything done. Right. Which is exciting, but that also can be scary. Um, and I think that that's what I would encourage people to do is to get comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable. It's going to be really hard to switch careers. If you, if you need to be an expert all the time, and it's still something that I struggle with. Um, what I've realized is that entrepreneurship is essentially never being an expert. It you're not doing your job right if you are an expert because you're really trying to um to stay high level, think about high level problems and then find people who are experts to help you execute that. Um but I still struggle, you know, 5 years into starting my business with not feeling like I ever completely know what I'm doing. Um but you you have to be able to do that if you want to switch Careers. Oh, good. That makes me feel really good because I'm three years into this and I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm still throwing. I feel like I'm still throwing spaghetti at the wall all the time. Yes. So, and I, you know what? So maybe that's just the way it is and it's going to continue. And that's maybe it just stays like that until you're some giant, crazy thing that can't move. Right. I think it stays like that. I mean, what I've gathered, um, is that that unfortunately may just be something about being a woman. Um, this, oh, interesting. Yeah. This, this imposter syndrome. Um, I, I, Oh yeah, it's out there. It, it, it is. And you know, my mom worked in the same role for her entire career. She was a lawyer. Um, she ended up becoming 
the first female partner of her law firm. Wow. And yeah, she's, she's a, a badass, and, and she, she was a specialist at what she did. So you would say she was an expert, like by definition. Um, and I, I asked her a few years ago, like, did you ever really felt, feel like you, you knew what you were doing? And she was like, most of the time, no. Um, and so that actually made me feel a lot better that, okay, well, she worked in this for decades and she still didn't always, and she was paid as an expert and seen as an expert and still didn't always feel that way. So right. I was like, all right, so this is just something I'm going to have to embrace. <laughs> right. Though the irony is probably a lot of guys pretend like they're experts yes. when they're not, you know, so it's, yeah, you're right. It's probably a little of, of us. So wonderful. So people can go find your product at sagelynaturals.com and then they can also look for them in CVS and Sprouts, you said, and Ulta. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. And what's your favorite product? What's your best-selling product? Our best-selling product is actually the first one we ever made five years ago. It's called the relief and recovery cream. And it's, you can sort of think about it like a a natural version of icy hot. So it has, um, you know, a hint of menthol peppermint oil. You get that instant cooling when you apply it, but then it has the added benefits of the CBD, which, um, which gives it uh, anti-inflammatory benefits as well as, um, different types of pain relief than what you would get from a typical topical analgesic. So I always recommend people start with that one. Yeah. I think, I think CBD is going a long way. I was skeptical and, uh, I've definitely come over to, it's very, very handy for all kinds of pain. I have all kinds of pain issues and it definitely, and they're different. You try different things for different things and see what works for you. Well, thank you so much, Kerrigan. I so appreciate it. And I'm sure everybody's going to check you out online and uh, check your products out too. Thank you for being with Covey. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. So I hope you enjoyed listening to Kerrigan's reinvention into CBD. We've had a few CBDs, but this one's really interesting because it walked its way through food. She thought she was going to go into food. And I guess you could say CBD is a kind of food somewhat now that it's under the agricultural department too, which is kind of interesting. Anyway, if you enjoyed that, I hope you will subscribe, leave us a comment or leave us some stars if you're in the Apple pod area and you can leave us some ratings. That's how other reinventors or would-be reinventors find us. We want to give you not only inspiration, but actual step-by-step on how you might get there and do this yourself. We know that after COVID, a lot of you are going to have to reinvent, um, maybe not by your own choice, but we want to make it as wonderful a possibility as it can be and show you that it can happen and you can be vastly happy and you can make some money and you can be your own boss. And there's a lot to be said for that, especially as you get older. So thank you for joining us. And if you like this and you want more stories on reinvention and more how to come on over to the Covey Club, 
where we have a website. We teach three times a week where you can learn everything you need to know about starting your own business or about your healthcare at this age or about beauty products for, for you at this age. And then we are also starting to plan some more of our trips. Yay, now that everybody's getting vaccinated, we will be getting together in person. And it's just a wonderful group of very positive women who will support you on your journey to whatever's next for you. So I hope you enjoy this. Come join us at CoveyClub.com. And I hope to see you next time.